0: Okay, that's enough. That's enough. Thank you. It's a place of reverence, a place of silence. Just kidding. Hey, we are in a conversation, as you well may know, called "Transformed Transformation," and uh, we have been going over this uh, key verse, which is our context and our our center verse for the for the few weeks that we've been on it. We've been actually on it four weeks. I can't believe that. And uh, The text is, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And like I said at the week one, that God doesn't have a problem with the world. In fact, God loves the world that he gave himself for it. The problem is the pattern of the world, the structure and the systems of the world, and that we're not called to live by the system. We're not called to live by that pattern, but we're called to live by his wisdom and he transforms our thinking and then we're transformed and that just doesn't stop there actually our transformation actually doesn't just transforms us transform us but it actually then we transform our communities we transform the places where we are transformation is not for us to gather on Sundays but to scatter during the week so that we transform the world around us and that's what transformation really is all about we are truly transformed but when He does something in us, He does something with us, and then He does something with others. It's always been the story of God right from the beginning. And so I just want to set this morning up. We, uh, we have a couple that are just back from Cali and Dunkirk. Um, they've been out there for six weeks. Um, they're tanned. They're shimmering. Uh, they've been drinking wine every day and eating cheese. And uh, No, they haven't. But uh, just to set this morning's conversation up, just as I invite them to come up, I want to give you a, another text of scripture because transformation begins when we transfer, transformation begins when we transform our thinking. And that's really the gospel message. Jesus says this when he came and the kingdom of heaven came. He says, you've got to change the way that you think, for there's a new government in town. There's a new way, there's a new rule, and there's a new reign, and that was the kingdom. So repentance means that we change our ways. We change the way that we think. We change the way that we live. And that's what true repentance is really all about. And so when he comes and he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come, he's saying, hey, things are changing for the better. Okay, it's not a message of condemnation. It's not a turn or burn message, it's a message that changes the way that you think. Change your life, turn it right round because there's a new way to live. And so often I find with the churches that we're answering questions that people aren't asking. Sounds controversial, doesn't it? It's just our hearts, we have this passion, we've fallen forward into His mercy and His grace and we've found this great God who's transformed our lives. And then what happens is we start to answer questions that the world are not yet asking. We're answering questions that people in your work are not asking. We're answering questions that people in your streets are not asking. You see, we were hoping and we're, we're longing that people are asking that they need Jesus, that they're looking for the peace of God. But they're not asking those questions. They're asking all questions. Of course, that's what they need. Of course, that's what we bring. But sometimes we need to ask the questions that people need answered. Does that make sense? It's not contrary to the gospel. It's actually part of the good news of the gospel, that we bring what people need, that we bring life change to people, that we bring it in the ordinary and the everyday, that it just doesn't happen in the red chair here on the Sunday morning, but it must happen on a Monday morning. If the gospel is real, if Christ is alive, it's got to happen on a Tuesday. If Christ is alive and we have been transformed, it's got to happen on your streets, in the supermarkets, wherever we go. Transform people, transform society. So here's what I want. Here's my text this morning. I'm not going to take up too much of these guys' time. But I, and Michelle's going to ask him some questions. But our context this morning is more around a story. So, the, the news this morning, the gospel this morning, the good news is going to be around stories and actual life experience. This is what it says. This is how we need to change our mind. And this is what I mean by answering the questions or asking the questions or answering the questions that people are asking. Does that make sense? Doesn't make sense to me. Hope it makes sense to you. Isaiah 60 says this, I'll just read it very quickly for you. If you have scripture, please turn there. Do not turn on angry birds. Do not go to Facebook or Twitter or Instagram if you're looking at it on your phone. Isaiah sixty first one says, Arise shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See darkness covers the earth. There's darkness in the earth. That's the reality. There's no darkness in, human, in people, that are, are people that are lovers of the light. There's no darkness in people that are following Jesus Christ. That does not exist. But light and darkness does exist on the earth at the same time. Okay? But that doesn't happen in the life of those who have put their trust in Jesus and have said yes to Jesus. See, darkness covers the earth. And thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you. And his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the lightness or to the brightness of your dawn. Isn't that a powerful text of scripture? So where does where do, a rise shine? Who's his light upon? It's not a trick question. You're all very quiet and play Us, you and I, his light is on us. And we need to transcend. Form our thinking. We need to renew our minds. You see, what happens is the enemy's strategy as we look at the problems in society, as we look at the problems in the world across Europe and across even our own nation, as we look at society, as we look at our own town, often we conclude that it's just full of darkness. And what we do is we get distracted. Our eyes pay attention to the darkness. And what the enemy wants to do to us as a community of faith and to the church, the Big sea church, is that he wants to um, attract us to his attention, to his. Priorities, And so often the church of Jesus Christ does that. We get so caught up in the darkness, that that's, and that's the aim of the enemy, if he can distract you so that we go with his agenda, so that we go with his articles, and so that we go with what he's doing. But God says that his light has come, his light is on you. And we're not to focus our thoughts on what's happened in the darkness. We're not to focus our thoughts on what the enemy is doing. We're not even to get distracted, but we're to arise and bring the light of God and bring the transformation of God into all of society. Does that make sense? I know it's hard to compete with a kid, but could I get your attention just for a moment? As beautiful as she looks and as gorgeous as she is. God is, is awakening up the church so that we go into all the earth with the light of Christ. Not to be distracted. Not to go with the, the enemy's agenda, but to bring life and hope and truth into every area of society. So we're transformed by our thinking. And so often the church's thinking is that the world's a dark place, the world's a dark place, the world's a dark place, the world's a dark place. And when I came to Dungannon, people said, oh, it'd never work. Dungannon is such a dark place. And Christians compete with the darkness. Do you know that? Lurgan's darker than Dungannon. Straban's darker than Lurgan. Nuri's a really dark place. Have you ever driv- driven past Nuri? Oh, you can feel it. It's a really dark place. That's a distraction. That's playing to the, the enemy's chin. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. We're called to bring the light and life of God to all of society and transform not just this nation, but the nations of the world. And so we had a couple who, I'll not tell too much of, what, of their story because they'll want to come and do that just now if they can make their way to the front. Uh, why don't you just help them do that by encouraging them to come? I feel that Brian and Diane, what they did is they asked questions and they answered questions that people were asking. And when they do that, you'll find out through their story is that when they begin to answer the questions that society is asking and the world is asking, then people are ready to receive the good news of Jesus Christ. And actually the kingdom is active and attractive when we do that. So I'm going to hand over to Michelle. Michelle. And she is going to Speak. Yeah.
1: So my job is just to keep asking you a couple of wee questions, Brian and Diane. And the rest of the time isn't entirely yours. Um, I just before we even start, I just want to honour you two guys because you are absolutely amazing. I've always known that from the time of known you, but just your courage. And your capacity for compassion, I I don't know if I've ever seen it in anyone else. And not just your capacity for compassion, but actually your courage in doing something about it. So you are our heroes, and I mean that genuinely. And Brian, you're struggling with that, I know. (laughs) But you really are our heroes. Both of you, you are our heroes. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. It's no small thing what you've just done for the last six weeks. It is no small thing. But the truth is it is no small thing how you've been living your life from you came to know Jesus all those years ago. That has been no small thing either. So it feels to me like this six weeks has been more a public display of what actually you've been doing for years here in Dungannon and in your hometown. But you just got to go to... I was going to say sunny northern France, but when we were out with you, it was freezing northern France. So I want to start off by asking you, um, what led you to northern France?
2: Good morning. How are you doing? <clears throat> um, it started really back in about... Can you hear me okay? Uh, October of last year, whenever Nigel Graham... I probably know the background to it. He sent me a a text saying, I've got a camper van. It's sitting at the back of the house texting and shared, would it be a mad idea to fill it with aid and go to Cali? So I replied back, yes, it would be mad, but I'll go with you. (laughs) So um, that was the start of it. Uh, I suppose Nigel had been nudged by God for a few months on this one. And hadn't done anything about it until one day in work, he like, physically felt God give him a kick up the backside, <laughs> and hence the text. <laughs> <coughs> so we'd gone out, uh, Adverse and Paul and, and ourselves went out for four days then in November, and we built a few shelters in Calais camp. And then a big team of 15, 16, 17, came out in February, end of February. I I came home then and um, I got into bed the first night. It was very comfortable, very nice. And I thought, I know 7,000 people who are jumping into something much less pleasant in a refugee camp. And it didn't sit well with me. So that started the whole uh, uh, thought pattern. I went back to work and kind of everybody knew I wasn't settled. So I went into the boss one day, one Monday. And I said, any chance of getting uh, three months off work? And he says, I'll talk to my boss. So he talked to his boss, came back to me the next day and says, yes, no problem. I'll hold your job over for you. So I thought, hmm, drat, I have to do something now. (laughs) We sort of settled on two months then. Um, I had to talk to Diane. (laughs) And uh, I knew she'd come anyway. But we settled on six weeks, seemed to be a fair compromise and took two months off work. Um, that was the difficult one, to actually say, yes, I'm going. That, I mean, anybody I talked to here during that time knew I wasn't settled. But, you know, can I go, can I afford to do without two months wage? Um, can the family do without us? Yes. Um, <laughs> does the family want us to go? Yes, probably. Um, so the whole thing went on in my head then, I know, God, you want me to go, I don't know exactly why I'm going or what I have to do when I get there, but at the end, end of it, I just said, I am going, I'll go, and there was like a ton of something fell off my shoulders, so I thought, okay, we're going, Diane was happy to go too for the six weeks, so I thought, yes, we're in business. <laughs> How to go then, um, what to bring with us, so a lot of data had been gathered up, so we filled the Land Rover, that was a concern, 22 years old. I wondered if it would make the journey with a, a, a caravan full of groceries as well, groceries and, and, and aid, for, um, blankets and all that sort of stuff. But then I thought, well, I didn't buy it in Donnelly, so it'll probably be all right. So, um... <laughs> <laughs> sorry, that was a plan one day. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that, that was basically it. And we said, we'll go. Uh... Yeah, it was, it was like jumping off a, a, a tightrope. But, um, yeah, it was good.
1: So um, while you were out there, um, for, for people here who maybe have no idea of what the place looks like, could you sort of just set the scene of of what the conditions are that the refugees are living in and and then sort of talk about some of the things that you were able to do, some of the differences, even the aid that you took. Like, what's the sort of things you took with you? What difference did that make? And and what's the setup like out there?
3: Okay, well, the camps themselves, uh, um, there are two camps, essentially. There are more. There are small ones elsewhere, which we didn't actually see, but uh, there's a big camp at Dunkirk. And when we went out in February, it was uh, in a really bad state. It was really the worst by far. But a uh, um, charity called MSF, Médecins Sans Frontières, had built a new camp for the folks. So now, instead of tents in muck and lour, really, they were in hardcore with lots of little like garden sheds that they lived in. And we thought it was lovely. And then when you come home and you think... You think it's lovely for people to live in a garden shed, you know? <laughs> that's, not, that's not really so good. The Cali camp then, it had, had a lot yeah. of clearing done since we were there in February. Um, the police had basically just dozed the half of it. Some of the people disappeared, but generally speaking, they just got squished into a smaller area. So where there had been one little shack or one tent, there were now two, and it was very concentrated. Because it was better weather... It wasn't that warm when we were there most of the time, but it was quite dry. So the, the situation in the camp, in that sense, was better because it was quite dry, although it's on a sandy place in Calais, and so when the wind would get up, there would be kind of dust storms, so that was a, the opposite of sort of wet and muckiness. Um, but very tightly packed, and uh, big a big, big area now between the motorway and the camp and lots of big fences and that's really just to protect the lorries because every single night people are trying with all their might to get out of the north of France and into the UK because they perceive the UK to be such a good place. Do you know what? It is such a good place. Mm-hmm. It really is when you see what they've come from. Um, so that's what the, what the camps are sort of like, um, crowded, uh, busy sort of places, nearly all men. Almost all young men, and that 's a bit of a shock when you go in for the first time because we 'd been before we 'd kind of acclimatized to that, but I think for people coming out, you walk into a camp and it 's just you 're just surrounded by men it 's kind of an abnormal situation for us and uh, of different nationalities and so forth, so it feels a wee bit strange initially, but you soon get used to that, and uh, it 's not a bother after a while. <clears throat> the other sort of big feature place is the Cali Warehouse where all the aid comes in and gets sorted to go out to both camps and we spent a lot of time there uh, when we first came Uh, there was Brian and myself and Leslie joined us for the first few days as well and they immediately uh, In the morning, there's a kind of a... Because there's different volunteers every day and they have to organise different people every day, there's a kind of a a, a check-in session. So they asked, was there anybody who knew the difference between, you know, a three-month-old and a six-month-old? You say, so, of course, I was quite experienced with that. (laughs) So uh, immediately I got posted off, and because we were staying for long term, posted off to the children's section, which was just a mass of unsorted children's clothes. It was total chaos. So that was really my project in the mornings for the time that I was there. There was blankets to be sorted, there was distributions to be done, there was food to be prepared for daily meals, there was food packs to be made up to go out to people who could cook for themselves. It's a massive warehouse, very busy, full of very good volunteers who are there, short and long term, giving their time for free and really caring for people. And uh, not so very many Christians, a few, which is a wee bit sad. Although, at the end of the day, I suppose the original charity uh, who started helping the refugees was uh, one called L'Auberge des Migrants, and that's a Catholic church charity in the north of France. So the church kind of started it. But uh, it's, it's really other people who've taken up the call, so it was really, really good to be there with Jesus. Yeah.
1: So... Um Tell us, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to get to the other questions that we're supposed to be getting to, but um, <laughs> um, I'd love to hear even if you could think just one, one person each that you met that really impacted you. Now, it can be either um, someone that you were helping, a refugee, or it could be one of the other volunteers that kind of had a, had a big impact on you.
2: Um We walked one day into Dunkirk camp, Uh, I think we'd heard about, yes, I'll tell the story from the beginning, Diane was in the warehouse sorting children's clothes, one of the guys who's involved in the distribution of clothes in Dunkirk came into the Cali warehouse looking for books about God, and the reason was a guy in the camp had asked him could he find any uh, books about God, so... Dan says, I, yeah, I have books. One called the Bible It's a good one. <coughs> so, yeah, um, he'd been, he'd been, he had found a Bible, I think, in Farsi. And he had, we met him the next day. And uh, he said that he had been reading this book about Jesus. And he said, I love my food, but I've missed my breakfast, my lunch, because I've been reading this book. I can't stop reading it. And uh, I thought, when did I last miss my breakfast because I wanted to read the Bible? <laughs> so that kind of spoke to me. But long story short, we chatted to him for about three quarters of an hour in the camp, and just explained to him what we knew about the Bible, and uh, pretty sure that the guy uh, had come to faith himself. Next question was, can you baptize me? <laughs> you need to do the class. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Now, these guys are all waiting for phone calls from uh, smugglers uh, because a lot of them have paid money. Family in England have come over and brought maybe four, five, six, as far as 9,000 quid to get these guys smuggled onto the lorry to get them back to the UK or get them into the UK. So they're all waiting for calls. So we didn't know where any water was. I knew there was lakes near the camp, so I I went round the lakes and thought, there's nowhere here, we'll all drown, so we can't go here. Um, so we sussed out a beach and said we'll come back the next morning at, or next afternoon at 2 o'clock and we'll go and get baptized I walked up the camp at, at a quarter to 2 and this guy came flying past me and he just got his call to get to France and then I think the Netherlands um, but he'd come to faith it was strange you know I thought I would love, it would have been lovely to have baptised you, but such is the urgency uh, from where he had come from. Uh, if he had come to faith in the country that he hailed from, he would have been publicly executed and hung in, in, in the square of his, of his town. Uh, so even just to sp- speak to us was quite a risk, because he didn't know who we were. So it's a wee bit cagey there when you're from his particular country. Um, to mention anything about God to anybody, even in France, in a refugee camp. So I think I think he'll survive. Um, I was going to run after him, but he's away that quick. And I wasn't <laughs> quite sure if it was him. I know he had an orange top on the day I was speaking to him, and he had an orange top that day. So to get the freedom is worth a lot of money to these people. And uh, I didn't hold him back. But yeah, I have it very easy compared to these guys. Yeah, definitely.
3: I suppose in a way, the, the person who sticks out in my mind is kind of similar. And it's, it's the thing of the, the persecuted Christian, really. It's quite a, quite a remarkable thing to meet people who are in that situation. And we, um, maybe about twice a week, maybe slightly more, did a tea and coffee bar just in a wee wooded area, area outside one of the camps. And it was a place where they could come and sit and talk and um, get a cup of chai, as they called it. You only had to say chai and they all came over to you, you know. It's not like here where you think if you offered somebody a cup of tea, they'd look at you as if you had two heads, you know, <laughs> out, out in the middle of nowhere. But, yeah, they all came and they sat and they chatted. And every so often you would see folks coming from one of the Middle Eastern countries and we're deliberately not being too specific because this is a public, um, this is, goes out publicly and there there's a real, real fear. Um, but from one of the camps, we uh, you could see the people coming, you could say, those are believers because they were just at low with the love of Jesus. They were just glowing. And you go and sort of mention it tentatively and they were kind of afraid to say because there were other people around listening and and as Brian was saying at home if if they were caught, they would be publicly executed, and that's us her- we don't even know we're living here, we really don't we don't know we're living, and you could just you could just cry with them because you look in their eyes and the love and the joy and yet the the pain and as I've been thinking about it, I've been thinking the only thing I can think of is um did air such love and sorrow meet or thorns composed so rich a crown? You just felt you were... You know, Jesus is with us, and we know we're in the presence of Jesus, but in an even more tangible way, you felt you were in the company of Jesus. And again, there's one particular uh, young man that were a group of several civil engineers who'd come, and he'd had to leave his wife and his family at home. And he was saying... Um, Again, this is all very quiet. You're nearly whispering in the background. And uh, I said, to your family safe? Yes, they are. What about your wife? Not sure, kind of thing. And a young man, and uh, very, very gentle, very, very respectful, very mannerly. And uh, I said, maybe you can keep in touch by phone. And he said, well, I was able to but then I think they got across to Dover or something like that and the police confiscated their phones so they could check them out and said they would give them back in a fortnight and Julie sent them back to France so they weren't going to be there in a fortnight so he didn't have any phone to ring home and say I'm alive and I'm all right. So we, we decided then we'd, we would fund a phone for him and he was so delighted, so delighted. And so he um, came back to show me what he had bought then the next day, and uh, he said, I will never forget you, you know, and just those things, it really breaks your heart, and when I see them in my mind's eye, you know, I just could weep for them, because we don't even, we have no idea what that's like,
1: yeah. Um, I know from talking to you that it was hard when you were leaving, because um, we had the joy of coming and serving along with you, and and just to see even the relationships. We were there probably week two or three. Week three, I think it was. And just to see already the relationships that you were building up, especially in the wee tea and coffee area in the back of the Jeep, um, just down there. And, and the way... like It was almost like a lot of these guys were treating you like mummy and daddy. You were like their surrogate mum and dads. And that, that was a really... That was a beautiful thing. That must have been a real privilege for you.
2: I think... Um having kids sort of in their 20s myself um, uh, and these guys that you're rubbing shoulders with in the hundreds are all that kind of age, 20 to 30 years old and they show you pictures on their phones of where they've come from, you know, from their own businesses you know, their shops they had immaculately set out, talking to a guy who was a computer he sussed out Jaguars and BMs and stuff for electrical faults, with computerized system. Derek, you know about that. Mm-hmm. These are guys that were doing well. Guys with good jobs, civil engineers, nurses, you know, guys with businesses. And they they've had to flee, they've had to run. Um, and we built up a relationship with them. And I suppose when a bit older, yes, we were like their mum and dad. In fact, they'd say that. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, you're a mama. And I was mama as well. Like, just, you know, <laughs> two mamas. But, um, yeah, I, the last day was difficult. We generally ran from 2 o'clock to 5 at the, the, the tea place. We sat on in at about half 6, and everybody sat on. And everybody sat on. And you rightly, this wasn't, this wasn't easy. And um, we had a go. And uh, the guys just hugged you. Um, and you felt a bit of a hail for going, because you, they had appreciated the little we'd done. That is an unbelievable thing. The little we did. There was one guy came, and he brought us twenty lollies, because we'd given him a cup of tea the day before. He'd gone to the supermarket and bought lollies. Give me a can of Red Bull, which I haven't drunk yet. But you know, there was a guy beside me, and he had a nice watch on. And I put, my, I put my hand in his watch and said, nice watch. He said, I bought that in Germany on the way through. And he gave it to me. And I thought he wouldn't give it to me to look at it. I said, no, you keep it. I said, I can't keep it. And I had so much to do to get it back to them. Without, without um, you know, you know, so things like that that give you the eye out of their head because of the little that we'd done just for a cup of tea and a biscuit or something. Um, you go out with... Some people say they're terrorists. The camp is full of terrorists. And, yes, we did have our uh, one occasion when... Just when Jason was here, I think. He maybe attracts that sort of thing. But, yeah. You know, we did, we did uh, come across half a dozen guys one day that were less than welcoming. But even with those guys, those guys need Jesus too. <laughs> and it ended up OK. It ended up grand. Um, yeah yeah, going away wasn't easy wasn't easy but um, it was nice to have done um, something that was so much appreciated you know uh, um, they're very lovable sort of people uh, the the place where we're doing it it was mostly uh, people for, uh, from a Kurdish background um, and it was interesting to hear their story and having no homeland as such, and wanting their own country, and the struggle they've been through, um, and mostly from Iraq. And this morning, there's 50,000 people taken hostage in Fallujah, uh, been used as a human shield uh, against the American forces, or against ISIS, sorry. Uh, Taken taken by ISIS as a human shield. 50,000 people in one town. And th- they're escaping through, as we talk, they're escaping through drain pipes to get away out of the city. And that's what's happening. And that's the reality this morning in Iraq. You know? And so it was nice to be a wee bit of comfort to four or 500 guys while we were there. So from that point of view, it was worthwhile.
3: And the other thing is, although they were, um, you know, the majority of them are Muslim, I think here in this country we think because really in, in Ireland there are very few people who are Muslim and we don't really know them and we have a fear, you know, of that and we think maybe we're very rigid, cold, closed kind of people. But they were anything but they were warm hearted and they were fun and they were one of the comments from the Causeway Coast team that were out was that what 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 gets me is how ordinary they are. It's, you know, they're just like just like ourselves. Just ordinary people, very warm, and even though and, and they were open to prayer. When we offered to pray for them, they accepted prayer very gratefully, and were very again very respectful and very glad of that. And um, we saw uh, we saw a change through prayer, we saw healing, we saw um, just movement, and we knew all the time we were totally supported from home and prayer because so many things came together. And even the fact that when 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 what Brian was talking about when the guy was looking for some Christian books that I happened to be there in that spot at that time, and I said, and it was just I'm just jumping on here. <laughs> I know about this one uh so it it's just worked out so well, so with great great support from all the teams who came and from everybody at home, it was amazing. we knew that we really knew it mm-hmm. um
1: so we're talking about transformation and and I know from um, doing some smaller term missions things myself, um, that often I come home and realize that actually God has done way more in me than I often feel like I have poured out. Now, I know you're just fresh home. You are only home last Sunday night, but already are you starting to see what God is doing and shifting in you, sort of the transformations that he's doing with you two guys in this journey?
3: Well, well, I've been thinking about this because you told us you are going to ask us that obviously <laughs> 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 Very <well prepared> here. <laughs> um, so one of the things just to follow on from what I was saying there in answers to prayer you see I think it is quite hard to formulate how it affects and how it changes it's hard to put it into words but um, faith has increased faith has increased before we left, um, about three weeks before, God had given... I'm tell this story because it's a good story. God had uh, given me a word, seagull. Just I thought he was sending to me seagull. And usually if I feel God sends them to me, I look up, I get to a concordance or you know Google it and find all the scriptures I can around seagull. Well, I don't know if there was any seagulls in the <laughs> scriptures at all. There was things that might have been a seagull, but they weren't big. So I thought, oh, well, maybe he wasn't really speaking to me at all, so I let it lie there. And then um, that was fine. We did our packing and preparation. And the morning we were going, we came up the Kiliman Road, and up in the sky I could see three big, enormous birds flying. And I thought, oh, there's three swans. And I love seeing swans fly, so I kept my eye on them. And when they came close enough, actually what they were, were three seagulls. They were coming up the Kiliman Road, and just as we turned into the Gort- Marin Link Road, the three seagulls came along beside us, over here, over Integrated College. By the time we got to the Eurospar, they were away. And I just, it just melted my heart, because I thought, theres I mean, Dungannon's not big on seagulls normally. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they were, I just thought, oh, Father, Son and Holy Spirit are with us. And they've come over the church, and we're going out as part of the church and they've just seen us off. And then, lo and behold, when I got to the campsite, every wee street, when I say a street, I mean it was like from here to the back of the room, had a wee signpost on it with a name, and on every single signpost, there was a wee seagull. So, um, and then when we were coming home, you see, as Brian says to me, I wonder will there be any seagulls to welcome us home? And just about a minute later, I got a text from Paula Graham, and she said, guess what? When we were at church this morning, Nigel says, look up. And there there was three seagulls over church that morning. So uh, although, although it wasn't as we came home, it was the thing of it was Nigel who started it. It was the church who has been all part of it. And the whole thing was included. And so what seemed like a daft thing, a seagull as a word, became something very special. And it was great. And faith has increased. And the impact that you have on people by praying for them and um, just by being there, you want to say something about that, about I will, what I th- people said?
2: I will maybe also um, sort of backtrack a wee bit. Uh, in the thinking about going, um, I thought it would be interesting to give two months' wage and stay at work. But because I went out, or we went out, um, twice as much as my wage was raised... And 26 other people went out as well. Wow. And since Nigel first had this vision of going out, 45 people have been out in the refugee camps. So, just interesting to note that if you do go yourself, that maybe others will go with you. It's a bigger thing. It's not that easy to give money, but it's a lot easier to give money and stay at work than to go away from work, if you know what I mean. So, give your time. I think that is the big thing. Take, give your time. I mean, others, you know, other people don't have your time, obviously, when you go, but you're giving your time to other people, and and so many fell in behind that thinking. It was great. Mm -hmm. Great to have so many teams out. Nearly every weekend, there was folk out, and people were able then to hit the ground running because we knew where to go and that sort of stuff. So what is the question? Transformation in you. Transformation in me. I don't know. I honestly don't know. I can't really answer that one. Um... I, I know I'm not particularly settled since I came back. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely, you know, still haven't really settled down here. So, but I have no plans for anything. But I'm open to whatever God has to say. If there's something more to be done, I'll do it. So I think it's, it's the thing of when you... God nudges you to do stuff and it doesn't necessarily have to be go to a refugee camp. Here's me preaching now. go. <laughs> He nudges all of us, right? Uh, he nudges us all to do something. And it's always a quandary with us. Will I or will I not? Does it make sense? Most of the time it doesn't make sense. But that's just how it is. It's counterculture usually. Uh, and But I would just say go for it. If he's nudging you to do something, whether it's go around with a meal to your next-door neighbour who's 110, do that, you know, just do it. Uh, It'll not be particularly straightforward, maybe, but do it anyway. You know, jump off the diving board and see what happens. Uh, Who wants a mundane life anyway? You know? (laughs) know, Yeah, it's overrated. (laughs) uh,
3: (laughs) One of the other things that I suppose has affected us is that by being there and offering prayer and seeing the change of saying it's an increase in faith but it's also an increased realization of what you carry and who you carry and and what's what's inside and at the beginning as I was saying when leslie was there and we were thrown into this chaotic uh, area of children's clothes, and the children's clothes were there, but they couldn't go out to the camp because they weren't sorted out, and it—it it was really quite a boring thing to do. Like you have 40, 50 boxes of, this is girls and it's bottoms and it's two to three, and this is boys and it's a coat and it's ten to twelve, and so forth, and uh, a lot of a lot of just working at that and organising it. But in the middle of it, you know, there was myself and Leslie and there was three French women who were even a bit older than us and we were we we were all a wee bit fraught at the start because they sort of had they were well, French are all better at English than we are at French. But anyway, one morning I went in and I thought, right, I'm going to pray in my very best pigeon French <laughs> for this lady, which I did too. It was just one of them there. And then um later on the one who spoke best English she said I'm so, so thank you so much for praying for us because she said we were at home last night we were all getting on each other's nerves and we were falling out and we had a big talk and everything seems so calm today and it's so much better. And so even in, in the simplest, you know, when you don't know a language very well, you have to pray very simply, but God heard that and made a difference. And it was, it was just quite something and then the impact of that on them as well. And even as we left, when we were going to go, one of the girls said, saying, oh, you're going, you see, uh, one of the girls in the office. I hardly ever saw her. She was just knocking about from time to time. But she was away from where we were working in the warehouse, and she says, oh, you're going. I'm so sad you're going. Everywhere that you and Brian were, it always seemed calm, you see. So, and I thought, I didn't have any concept of that at all. But she saw that in us, and I thought, well, that's, that's really something. And then I have to tell you this, because Brian not telling you. Another, there's another lady who was organising the stuff coming into the warehouse and all the loads that were coming in. And one day she comes up to me and she says, there's one good man about here and you've got him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> 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 so.
3: but I
2: think that thing of um, bringing peace, because Jesus is a prince of peace mm-hmm. and I think be encouraged by the fact, n- no matter where you go in your work tomorrow that you actually bring that peace yeah. you mightn't think it, because we didn't think it no. but you bring the presence of God we all bring the presence of God wherever we go the aroma, the sweet smell of Christ into the, the darkness and be encouraged by that no matter where you're coming from you know, mm-hmm. no matter... Yeah, just when you know Jesus, he will do that you, you impact the people sitting beside you you impact the people in the office, in the factory wherever it is uh, don't underestimate that, it's pretty powerful the uh,
3: the other thing that, that we learned I suppose which we sort of do know, but we learned even more from our experiences in India and so forth in the past, was you can live very simply. And it it actually frees you. We lived in the caravan for six weeks. I mean, it was quite a posh caravan. (laughs) Compared to a garden shed or a tent, it was very posh. Um, But brought a few clothes with us, not too many. Didn't even use them all. because we, you know, we just wash them and use them again. You bring for all weathers, and if you only get cold, you don't need too many of them. <laughs> but anyway, it was, uh, it was simple, and there's there's freedom in living simply, and it's, uh, it's quite a thing. And there's great joy and there's great satisfaction and great freedom when you feed the hungry, you clothe the naked. And uh you welcome the stranger. And Jesus said, When you do it onto to one of these, you do it to me. And you really do. And it warms your heart and it melts your heart and it changes changes you inside. It just draws something more out of you. And it's it's really were bottom line and a lot of people, a lot of the volunteers who were there, as I say, they weren't they weren't believers, but they'd come out maybe to volunteer for two or three days and it stayed. And I think they stayed because they really found meaning in in helping people who had nothing and who were distraught. And it's it's probably value-added things now. That's very (laughs) value-added. Yeah.
1: Before I get you to pray for us, is there anything else that you wanted to say this morning that I haven't prompted you with? Is there anything else you want to finish off with? And then I'm going to get you to pray
2: for us just maybe that um, God's heart breaks for people um, no matter what our situation if we're in difficulty he, I think he feels it um, so no matter what our situation is uh, God's heart's bleeding for, for us this morning if we're in depths, he's not he's not distant from what we're going through he's um, straight in the middle of it and we can turn to him and and he'll come and he will help. Even in possible situations, he he can sort things out. Quick story, one guy been trying for nine months to get to the UK. And we prayed for him. First of all, we gave him a cough bottle because he coughed in the lorries and then the people found him. So he needed a cough bottle to stop coughing. We prayed that he'd break the law and get to Britain. Can you imagine? And for uh, two days later, his brother told me he'd got to London. So I don't know what all that means. But I think God was interested in his life. And the dream that I had, he held on to it for nine months. And it finally came true. Now, maybe it'll be a nightmare when he gets there. I don't know. But that was what he wanted. And he he got there just straight away. So, yeah. Keep on asking God for help in your situation, and He will supply all your needs. He will supply them. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. Aren't they amazing? I'm sure, like me, you could have listened to them talk on the way more. So here's my advice to you. Invite them for dinner. Invite them for coffee. And just get them to tell you their stories. Um, I'm sure you'd be okay with that, wouldn't you, Brian? Going to somebody's house for dinner and coffee, first, course. Um, or call on with them. But no, I think, actually, people need to spoil you. Mm-hmm. So why don't you invite these guys round and just get them to tell you more and more of their story and you get to ask your questions. There's maybe some questions that you've been sitting there going, oh, I wish Michelle had asked that today. You can have that opportunity by getting these guys around. Um, it, we were just blown away by... We could see when we were there the difference already, Brian and Dan were making being there. And um, even things like... Um, the money that you guys helped raise and the money from like people from people that, that have no real connection with Vineyard Church and Gannon other than they know someone at Vineyard Church and Gannon who have given money towards this and then to get to see the difference that that makes where Brian and Diane were able to go and buy things um, and able to get to get supplies and food. We paid for some food and, and, and other things that were absolutely needed, that we were running out of on the camp and they were needed right there and then. And... Um, but just to see, when I was there, and I told this when you guys weren't here, so I'm going to tell it when you're here, but one of the things that what really blew me away is I know how amazing these guys are, as do all of you, but I was amazed at how quickly everyone else caught on to that. And literally, like, people, all the key volunteers in the warehouse were always coming up trying to poach these guys. They were coming, um, um, I need you to do such and such a thing, I need you to do such and such a thing, but... Brian, Brian, and Diane, they were just so focused on what they had to do. And also, if they had committed to go and help Will in the afternoon in Dunkirk, well, then there was no shift in that. They had committed to help Will in the afternoon, and they were going to go and do that. So it was just amazing to see how, how quickly everyone else saw what we see. And, and I really think so, saw Jesus in you, even if they couldn't have articulated that themselves. But, um, so it was amazing. So would, would you pray for us? Would you stand?
2: So, Father, thank you. Um, thank you that you're real, that you're not a figment of our imagination, but that you, you live. Uh, you live within us. Um, yeah, thank you for all you've given us in this country. The freedom to be here this morning, yeah. The freedom just to worship you, and uh, help us to just do more in terms of helping our brothers and sisters who are under pressure. Give us new ideas as to how we can help. Yeah.
3: Father, we thank you for this church. Thank you for community. Thank you so much for um, what can be achieved through community, through body, life, through um, brothers and sisters together. Yeah, thank you for all the support from here and uh, just knowing that and the impact of it on the ground and that we were able to say that we are from a church and say it with great pride and with great joy. So I just ask that every person here would know that um, every penny, Every item of clothes, uh, every prayer that was said, every bit of support that one has given to another at any time is all part and parcel of the whole and of bringing wholeness and help to the many. So, uh, yeah, we just ask for your anointing again as, as you sent those seagulls, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, anoint this church. Uh, to be Jesus to our world and to the ends of the earth because you're a very big God and you're a very loving and compassionate God and there's nothing too much for you. Yeah, so strengthen us, bind us together, send us out as as an army for you, bringing good, bringing joy, bringing love, bringing help wherever we go and your peace. Thank you, Jesus.
0: Uh, there's just a grace here. I think it's one of the things, the overriding theme this morning is that uh, there's faith and there's help. And there's hope in the midst of your circumstances. And it's not just for Dunkirk or Cali, but it's Dungannon gets in on that too. So we'd love to pray with you. If you have You've just gone through some trials, if you've gone through some stuff in your life, Brian, Dan, they're going to uh, stay here at the front. They'd love to, to pray with you. Love the the uh, what we do here in the vineyard is uh, we think it's totally biblical. We're, we don't go as far as we only go as sorry, we only go as far as the scriptures, and that's we find out that that's pretty ridiculous sometimes when you read scripture. So they would love you to come, we lay hands on you and, and just pray for you, whatever your circumstances today, that hope would again rise in your heart. Would you do that? Would you take some prayer this morning? We trust these people, you can trust them, and so we offer that to you this morning. And uh, we pray that tomorrow that you would arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And so you take your ordinary everyday life and you place it before the Father and you see what he does in the midst of the ordinary. He does some extraordinary, extraordinary things, doesn't he? When we take him and take his light into the places where he sends us on a Monday morning, on a Tuesday and a Wednesday. I don't know about you, but faith has filled my heart again. And hope and I'm thankful that Michelle and I just get to lead a community of faith uh, like this here in Dungana where we get to touch the nations. It's just huge, isn't it? And can you imagine, can you imagine Brian Cummins on a can of Red Bull? Uh, that would just be something else. So, guys, come and get prayer. Have a great week and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. God bless you. Come and get prayer.